Hi, and welcome to the Wellness Mama podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com. Did you know that you hear the term the dog days of summer very often, but the real dog days actually refers to the weeks between July 3rd and August 11th, and these are named after the star called Sirius in the constellation of Canis Major. Um, And so that's where that phrase comes from. And another fun experiment that someone mentioned to me recently having to do with summer is if you want to find out what the temperature is and you don't have a thermometer or a smartphone on you, the frequency of the cricket's chirps is supposed to fluctuate with the temperature. So they say you can count a cricket's chirps for 15 seconds and then add 37 and you'll have the approximate outdoor temperature in Fahrenheit. So just a random cool fact. And as you may have guessed, today's podcast is going to be about getting ready for a healthy summer. And I've gotten so many questions via email and on the blog lately about various aspects of preparing for summer, whether it be meal planning for when kids are out of school or natural sunscreen or natural bug spray, um, different hair care products for summer, just across the board. So rather than bringing on a guest today, it's just going to be me talking, dun dun dun, Um, about summer and about getting ready for a healthy summer with your family. And um, I definitely, for one, am extremely, extremely ready for summer to be here. Uh, I wish I was at the beach the entire time, but I'm just glad for the warmer weather after the winter we had. So to jump right in, um, I get a question a lot. I have a post called, do you eat your sunscreen? And this post gets quite a few questions and I figured it would be a great time to talk about it in depth. Um, And the basic concept is that What we put into our bodies has just as much of an effect on our skin as what we put on the outside, like sunscreen. And I noticed this myself drastically when I first switched to real food because I um, used, I have very fair skin. I'm Irish, Scottish, so about as fair skinned as you can get um, with blonde hair. And I used to burn horribly all the time. And I, as a teenager, always wished I could tan and I never could. And I would always be burned after even just 20 or 30 minutes in the sun. And when I switched to real food, I noticed one day that I hadn't been burned in a long time, even if I was outside gardening in the heat of the day. Um, and that my skin was also just naturally more glowing and darker, but not tan in the unhealthy way than it had been in the past. And I started really delving into the research and there actually is research that supports the idea that when you have the right concentration of nutrients in your diet and you've eliminated foods that cause inflammation, the body has a much better ability to, um, a much higher sun tolerance and a lowered chance of burning. And so for me, this meant that uh, I am able to now spend time in the sun in a healthy way. Uh, and there were certain certain factors that I really noticed optimize this. And so this time of year, I start my internal sunscreen protocol that I call it and um, just making sure all of those factors are in places uh, in place because you know conventional wisdom says you're supposed to slather on sunscreen and that that's all you need in the summer and you know every day if you're outside at all put sunscreen especially on your face and one thing I found in researching is that wearing most sunscreens blocks the body's ability to produce vitamin D and vitamin D is actually a pre-hormone it's not a vitamin at all and it's necessary for a a variety of different reactions, including cancer prevention. So while obviously skin cancer is a big issue and something that needs to be talked about, if you have low vitamin D levels, it can also put you at risk for other cancers that have much higher, uh, they're much more widespread, like breast cancer. So I think that's an important thing for us to talk about. But most sunscreens also contain toxic chemicals that can be more dangerous than moderate sun exposure. So for instance, um, 
even though there's been this big push to have wider use of sunscreen and statistically we're actually using more sunscreen, incidence of skin cancer, especially melanoma, is rising dramatically. In fact, right now skin cancer rates are going up by about 4.2% annually despite the fact that we spend less time outdoors, drastically less time outdoors, and wear more sunscreen. So if skin cancer rates are rising despite sunscreen use and reduced sun exposure, it makes you step back and think maybe there's another underlying cause. And I've written about this before, the link between nutrition and sunburn. But as I said, I'm just becoming more and more convinced of this as the evidence um, unfolds. And I know there are many of you listening who maybe like my husband are blessed with naturally olive skin, and this isn't a big deal, so bear with me. I promise I'll get to other topics. Um, but I think we have to look at the underlying cause because... Doctors and sunscreen manufacturers are so quick to push sunscreen for those who burn easily. That was always the solution for me. Um, but it, I look at this kind of like giving an antibiotic for every illness or getting stitches every time you have a paper cut. It addresses the short-term problem, but it's not addressing the underlying cause. So if you think about it um, just on a skin level, sunburn is a type of inflammation. It's caused by the sun, but it's a type of inflammation. And diet has a tremendous impact on inflammation throughout the body. So addressing diet is often just as important as slathering on the sunscreen. And I would say um, whether you use sunscreen or not, you absolutely need to address your diet and reduce inflammation because that's going to help reduce your risk of many health problems, including perhaps skin cancer. But it also is wise to look at, at the way that um, this can play out in your skin. So absolutely, I agree with every dermatologist who says that you never want to burn. You want to protect the skin. And a lot of them recommend using a hat or protective clothing um, if you're going to be out in the sun for a long period of time. And I still do that. If I'm going to be out beyond what I know my um, sun tolerance is, I'll just put on a, uh, like a swimsuit cover and a hat rather than putting on the sunscreen if I don't need it. Um, but the part that I have found the most fascinating, fascinating is the anti-inflammatory diet and how that had a dramatic impact on my skin in the summer. And of course, this type of diet is beneficial in so many ways. Um, obviously, eating real food pays dividends across the board. But in a short list, what I avoid in this time of year and all the time, but especially now, are any kind of processed foods, um, especially vegetable oils. And I found that this was a big confounding factor for me because uh, if we were at the beach on vacation and I ate something at a restaurant that would not have been processed, it was like either just fish or vegetables, but it was cooked in vegetable oil, um, I would be more likely to burn the next day. And the my theory is that vegetable oils can increase inflammation in the body. They're high in omega-6s, and omega-3s tend to help reduce the risk of burning. So I'm very careful to avoid hydrogenated vegetable oils and vegetable oils this time of year and stick to fats like um, coconut oil and olive oil. Um, also avoiding grains and sugars because those both can create inflammation in the body. And I know obviously grains are a controversial topic, and that's going to be a matter of personal health and what works best for you. Uh, but for me, I definitely do better this time of year when I avoid grains. Um, and on the flip side of that, I try to eat lots of healthy omega-3 rich foods and healthy saturated fats, tons of leafy greens, which are protective in so many ways. And then an unusual one, if you can tolerate it, is to eat tomato paste because there's lycopene in the tomato paste that seems to be protective of the skin. And then I also have a supplement protocol. My supplements tend to change 
uh, based on the time of the year. So this time of year, I reduce my vitamin D3 uh, internal intake because I'm getting more of it from the sun. I personally take about 5,000 IUs a day, uh, but that's after blood testing and consulting with a doctor. This is definitely not something you want to get too much of, so that's really important. Um, I also take about 2,000 milligrams to 5,000 milligrams of vitamin C a day personally, which is an immune booster and an anti-inflammatory. And then the one that I don't take as much in the winter that I've just added back in is called astaxanthin. And this is a really, really potent antioxidant. It's more potent than dark chocolate, blueberries, um, krill oil, anything. Um, and research shows that this acts as kind of an internal sunscreen. Um, so it basically is it's great for skin health and sun protection. It's an antioxidant and anti-inflammatory. And some athletes take it because it's also an endurance booster. And basically astaxanthin is a carotenoid and one of the many, uh, the most potent antioxidants around. It's been studied, there's uh, dozens of studies about this online. And uh, it's one, it's just for me, I found that it's extremely beneficial in the summer. It's bright red. If you've ever taken it or broken up, broken open a capsule, it will stain your skin. It's bright red. And this is the pigment that salmon, like, or krill, it, it's, um, so, okay, so I should back up and explain that better. Um, it's one of the most powerful and most studied carotenoids, and it's produced when a certain species of algae dries up. Uh, it, basically, when it dries up, it produces astaxanthin to protect itself from losing its nutrient supply and to stay alive. And so you can get natural sources of astaxanthin from this algae and from animals that consume it, including krill and salmon. And that's actually where the red pigment in salmon comes from. So that's why if you notice at the store, um, wild-caught salmon that's consuming more of this will have brighter red skin, and that's one of the reasons. Um, and so as an antioxidant, it's, it's able to reduce inflammation, and it has some unique properties that make it really beneficial. So it's said to be 6,000 times more powerful than vitamin C, which of course um, gives an amazing antioxidant ability. And it's able to cross the blood-brain barrier and the blood-retina barrier so that there's evidence it can support both the brain and the eyes, and many other antioxidants aren't able to do that. So um, of course the reason I take it is for its sun protection. It basically works as an internal sunscreen since it reduces that inflammation that might come from food or stress. And it also is said to be able to help reduce UVA damage to skin cells. And like I mentioned already, sunburn is a type of inflammation. And so um, if you've already got inflammation in the body, the body's less able to protect itself from the sun. And um, so I just take astaxanthin daily this time of year and have noticed that it's really, really helpful. Um, and, and to segue a little bit, so summer usually, hopefully, means spending more time outdoors. Uh, if it doesn't, I would encourage you to make it mean spending more time outdoors. And one thing that I really try to make sure we do as a family during the summer when we're spending time outdoors is to be barefoot in the soil and garden and interact with the dirt as much as possible. And I have a pretty controversial post actually called, Why Kids and Adults Need Dirt. And... I think this is a really important point and something we can really benefit from in the summer. It's much harder in the winter to be outside in the soil and garden. Um, but so thanks to modern hygiene and sanitation, we've seen a lot lower rates of so many diseases and health problems, but too much of a good thing can become a bad thing. And I've also written how gardeners can 
or statistically, people who garden every day live longer. And it turns out that the dirt itself may actually play a role in this. And that there's a reason, a very primal reason that our kids love to play in the dirt and make mud pies. So we, in our daily lives, we have antibacterial soap, we have antibacterial sprays, we have cleaning wipes, we have everything disinfected, sterile all the time. And we go to great lengths, great lengths to avoid germs. But at the same time, we're seeing rising rates of allergies and autoimmune problems and gut-related disorders. And there's some research that says there could be connection here. So um, there's research that widespread use of disinfecting and antibacterial products is preventing proper formation of healthy gut bacteria and that restoring this beneficial bacteria could be the key to boosting immune function, avoiding these high rates of allergies and digestive problems, and that it may even have a mood-boosting effect. So um, most people are familiar with good bacteria, but most people think of them as just probiotics or probiotic-rich foods. And these definitely are wonderful and necessary, but there's an, an, a missing important factor here, and that's soil-based organisms, or SBOs. And these actually have stronger strains of beneficial probiotics that can survive longer in the digestive system, so they provide more benefit. And while fermented foods and probiotic supplements can be really beneficial, some of these strains don't survive through the digestive process. So just as you might have gathered from the name, soil-based organisms are found in the soil. And various cultures have known about this for years. There's an old saying that you should eat a peck of dirt before you die, and there's a lot of other um, old wives' tales and wisdom about eating dirt and how much you should eat in a lifetime. But um, for, like, for instance, for our son, our third son had allergies for a long time, including a dairy allergy. And Balancing his gut bacteria was a large part of reversing that for us, but we realized that um, he it, just taking food-based probiotics wasn't working, and he actually needed interaction with the more broad-spectrum microbial environment of the soil. So we provided an organic dirt garden and let him garden, and that was a big part of his recovery. And it also, of course, gave him out, time outside and the vitamin D and interacting with nature, which has so many other benefits. Um, I think it was Heather from mommypotamus.com that has talked about this as well for people with digestive disorders. And there was actually a, a double-blind placebo study, and researchers found that IBS patients who took a soil-based probiotic had a a significant reduction in symptoms after only two weeks. And the follow-up found that the patients were still experiencing these benefits a year after discontinuing the probiotic um, because presumably the, the probiotic had created a lasting effect. And so for hopefully not anybody listening, but for so many modern families, children are inside almost all the time. They're not supposed to play in the dirt. They're not supposed to get dirty. Um, and, you know, heaven forbid they should put dirt in their mouth. And this might actually be having a detrimental effect on them. And so much to, I think, the chagrin of at least my mother-in-law and many mothers, babies really do have a natural desire to play in the dirt and put dirty objects in their mouths. And this actually is an important part of building their immune system. So I've talked before about how at about six months of age, babies need more iron than breast milk can produce. But about this time, most babies are also on the ground crawling around. And historically, they were probably crawling around on dirt or 
just natural ground surfaces, not Lysol's kitchen tile. And so they were interacting with these microbes and certain of these microbes are actually responsible for iron production and for getting iron to the baby. So this is a, a way that the babies were getting iron. Um, and then also when a baby's doing this, they're getting an immune response from exploring their environment. So they're getting small amounts of microbes in their mouth that their immune system can respond to in a safe way. And this is creating uh, a strong immune system for them. So when, when we bypass this process, we're maybe shortcutting their immune formation. And another study similarly found that kids who grew up on farms or with a dog in the house, not just a dog, but in the house, had fewer allergies. And so researchers really started to explore the importance of organisms found in less than sanitized environments. The idea being, obviously, if you have an indoor dog, it's not staying indoors 24-7. It's got to go out to use the restroom and to play. And then the dog is bringing in beneficial microbes that the children are interacting with. And that, that helps with that, um, that process as well. And so obviously, it's wonderful that we've cleaned up contaminated water supplies, cleaned up contamination and, and actual problems, but also we're raising our children in such an ultra-clean environment. And so I think this is something really important that we can let our kids do in the summer is just let them have fun outside in the dirt. So I've encouraged my kids from as soon as they could crawl to play outside barefoot in the dirt in an area that I knew was safe, that wasn't sprayed with chemicals, that didn't have herbicides and pesticides on it, but in our organic garden, even our babies, I would give them a little pot of organic dirt where they could grow things and usually nothing would grow because they would kill it as soon as it got tall enough, they'd want to explore it and look at it. But they were learning through that and they were interacting with the dirt. And now that they're older, they help with our actual garden and Honestly, my older kids are better at gardening than I am. So it's paid off in that way as well. Um, so we just, that's been an important part of our lives in the summer and just letting kids get dirty and as hard as it is as a mom sometimes and realizing I've got to give five kids a bath and do an entire load of laundry, um, I can just send them outside. We can eat meals outside during the summer and they can just get clean at night and they get all that wonderful time outside interacting with a natural environment, getting vitamin D from the sun. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just been wonderful. So that's another kind of um, unusual tip and thing that I encourage in summer and definitely a soapbox. So um, sorry for that tangent. But um, back to things for the summer. I got a question recently of natural alternatives to typical summer things, typical summer products that people buy like sunscreen and like bug spray. And I will post the recipes for these in the show notes at wellnessmama.com. Um, you can click on podcasts and it'll be there. But um, just to basically go through some of the, the theory of it, um, most bug sprays, or a lot of them, contain a chemical called DEET. And it's one of the most widely used ingredients in store-bought bug sprays. And it's, um, it's short and term is DEET. And it's designed to repel rather than kill insects. And it's estimated that about a third of the U.S. population uses DEET every year. Um, it is approved by the EPA, but it's also a known eye irritant. And there's warnings on every bottle that it can cause rashes, soreness, and blistering. It's also been linked to neurological problems. Um, and according to the EPA, at least 18 different cases of children suffering with neurological effects, as well as the deaths of two adults, have been associated with DEET. So it is not by any means inert. Um, it's also been shown to have a negative impact on wildlife and water sources. And so this is why I don't use it. DEET's actually toxic to birds and aquatic life. So if you're using it on your skin and then you're swimming in a lake or a natural water source um, or spraying it in the air, you could really be affecting 
the wildlife population in your area. Um, but thankfully, like I'm always a broken record saying, there's almost always an inexpensive natural alternative that you can make at home. And this is absolutely true with bug spray. In fact, there's two simple inexpensive ones, one with essential oils and one with actually the herbs themselves. And they take seconds to mix up. So if you're a fan of the essential oil version, you can use either a bug repellent essential oil blend that is available on Amazon or a lot of other places. It would have ingredients like citronella, lemongrass, rosemary, tea tree, eucalyptus, catnip, lavender, and mint. And you just mix that with distilled water and natural witch hazel, and it makes a great bug spray that is much safer than DEET, especially for wildlife. And you can also do the same thing with dried or fresh herbs. Those same herbs, citronella, lemongrass, catnip, lavender, peppermint, etc., um, can just be, you can add those to boiling water, basically make a very strong tea, let it cool, and then add witch hazel for um, preserving it. And I just would keep that in the fridge and just use it as a natural bug spray as well. And um, we tested these a lot, both where we live, there's lots of flies and mosquitoes and gnats and everything else. And they really do work, um, I think, as well as the commercial versions. You don't have to spray the chemical smelling stuff all over your kids. So um, again, I'll post a recipe for that, but I just would really encourage you to try the natural solution there. Same thing with sunscreen, actually. Um, so I feel like sunscreen and cosmetics sometimes feel like you can't, they're not an easy DIY because when you buy them from a store, they seem so clinical and like properly packaged and like you need a team of scientists to help you create them, but really there are natural ingredients that work just as well in most cases, especially for moderate sun exposure. Um, so as I mentioned before, a lot of sunscreens can contain ingredients that actually promote inflammation in the skin, and they almost all block all vitamin D production, which is becoming a huge problem in our society. There's estimates that over half the population could have a deficiency in vitamin D. And so I feel like we've kind of cut off our nose to spite our face when it comes to sun exposure, like we're trying to avoid skin cancer, but we've shunned the sun as a whole, which is so important for our health. So um, not to deny that sunscreen is needed, sometimes it is, and especially if you're going to be out in the sun all day and you're not ready for that type of sun exposure, it would not be a good idea to burn. So um, one solution would obviously be to just to cover up with long sleeves and a and a hat, but most kids aren't a fan of that, and I'm honestly not that big of a fan either. Um, but there are things that you can use for different levels of sun exposure. So for instance, coconut oil is said to have a natural SPF of about four to six. So for short-term sun exposure, that works all by itself. Same with almond oil, it's about four to six as well. Um, red raspberry seed oil has an SPF of 25 to 50, so it's really strong. It also is... Um, it's very concentrated and a little bit more expensive, so I usually prefer to, to blend those together. Um, shea butter is a natural SPF of 4 to 6. Carrot seed oil is 35 to 40, so another really strong one. And then zinc oxide powder, if you get a non-nano version, can be added to any of those um, to create a, an actual physical sun protection barrier on the skin. And um, with any oil bases like that, you can also add beeswax to make it more water protective. So depending on what your needs are and your family's needs are in the summer, you can basically just melt any combination of those oils and add zinc oxide if you want and beeswax if you want for the waterproofing um, and create a natural sunscreen that doesn't have the retinol A and all the other toxins that are in normal sunscreen. And once you have the basic ingredients at home, you can make a whole lot of other beauty products as well. So 
I'll um, post that recipe as well. Just make sure that you test it on a small area first and don't just lather it on and go out all day for eight hours and, and hope that it works. Test it with your skin and make sure um, you know how long you can be out and how long it's going to last for you. Um, let's see, so other things, uh, just on a random note, um, somebody asked me this last week. I posted a picture of our family at the beach and they said, you know, what do you do with your hair when you're at the beach? Do you still use, use your natural shampoo or do you use something different? Does your hair get frizzy? And um, I actually do still use my mud shampoo. I love that. It's not actually mud. It's healing clays. And they don't strip your hair's natural oils, but they pull any, like, dirt and build up out of there. So I use that. But um, at the beach or at home in the summer, I, I make a beach waves spray that's basically magnesium and salt. And you can add a little bit of natural sugar in there as well, which is fine on your hair even if you're not... Uh, if you don't eat sugar. And this basically creates texture and volume and even stiffness naturally but without the chemicals. And that's really easy to just mix up in two minutes and you've got that for the summer. So just a random tip and I'll post that recipe as well. Um, and then last but not least absolutely is I think it's important to talk about switching to summer meal planning because uh, I feel like coming out of the winter and the spring um, a lot of us have been eating a lot of sweet potatoes and winter squashes and soups and more wintry foods. And um, I'm a big fan of rotating our meal plan quarterly. So every year, um, about every three months when the seasons change, I rotate our meal plan. So we're about to switch into a summer meal plan that will include more things like cucumbers and summer squashes and greens and lots of fresh herbs and brightly colored fruits and vegetables. So I always recommend that you can find a meal plan that works for your family in the summer and try to base it on seasonal produce, which will not only save you money on your food budget, but also just really helps you get the most nutrients from your food because they're the most in-season and hopefully the most local if you have options for farmer's markets. And one tip that I found helpful is if you can, create a whole outline of the whole, like maybe one month of rotating meals and repeat it three times during the summer. So you've only eaten every meal three times, um, but you've got the plan ahead of time and you know exactly what you need at the farmer's market and at the store each week, and it saves a lot of time. And when I'm planning that, I have a daily template. So instead of just starting from scratch and like, oh my gosh, what should I cook? I try to plan one to two stir fries in the summer, um, one to two salads, occasionally a slow cooker meal, though I'm not as big of a fan of those in the in the summer just because it's hot. And then one fish or seafood meal, one or two meals from a different cuisine around the world, and then one or two meals that I can prepare ahead and put in the oven. And I try not to use any, any one protein more than twice in a given week, so maybe only use beef twice or fish twice. That way it doesn't get boring. And um, through this process, we figured out that we really have some core recipes that our family likes, and these get reused every few weeks. And it really helps, I found, if you figure out about 20 core recipes that your family really enjoys and that you can rotate. And that way, um, you can just keep these stored either on your computer or on index cards, and they're there for easy reference. And I have a recipe index on wellnessmama.com with lots of free recipes that you can use if any of those are family favorites. And I've also found that protein is typically the most expensive part of the meal. So if you can use less expensive cuts of meat and stretch them with vegetables, you can have, it might allow you to work in organic and grass-fed foods into your budget rather than conventional meats. And this is 
Another reason I love stir fries and casseroles and salads because you can put a lot of vegetables and a little bit of protein and still get a ton of flavor. And um, then also, of course, an easy way to mix it up is with spices. So you can take the same exact meal, maybe like a beef and vegetable stir fry and make it taste completely different just by changing the spices. We like one recipe called Pakistani Kima, which has curry flavors, but it's really just ground beef and carrots or sweet potatoes and green beans. Um, but it tastes so flavorful because of the addition of the spices. And so just having a good bulk um, store of different favorite spices that your family enjoys really helps make that um, that easier. And so um, that I feel like having a, a meal plan specific to summer and then having it pre-planned really helps take the stress off, especially for those of us who are the cooks in the family. Because um, I know especially if your kids are in school and then they're home all summer, you've got more hungry people around all the time and just pre-planning that really help take, helps take the load off of that um, and really simplifies the dinner process. So um, let's see. Um, okay, one other question I had from readers was what about on vacation or when traveling? And this actually is really fresh on my mind because a few weeks ago we took a trip with several other families who actually also happen to be bloggers and we all, of course, eat pretty much the same way and, um, and, but there was a big group of us. And so we were all coming there, eating healthy on the road and then preparing our own meals when we were there. And so we kind of had a system going for this and, Again, this is one, one area where I say planning really helps, especially if you're trying to cook while you're on vacation because nobody likes to go be closer to the beach just to cook and clean the exact same amount. So whenever we're traveling, I try to pre-prepare as much as possible all the meals. So I will make um, casseroles or stir fries or anything I can at a time and put them in um, glass containers or any even disposable containers to bring with us so that I can just reheat them. And then on the road, it's easy to just pack kind of a survival box of snacks that includes things like fruits and vegetables, homemade trail mixes, um, homemade snacks like coconut flour muffins, or homemade ground beef beef jerky. Um, carrot sticks are great for the road. Uh, chia seed squeezes in like squeeze pouches or pre-made smoothies. Um, just anything you have that helps you avoid having to stop for food because that's usually, at least for our family, really difficult with all the kids. And then just pretending like you're still at home when you're there. Like I said, it's easier if you pre-prepare stuff so you're not spending vacation cooking. But uh, I know a lot of people have this tendency to like go on vacation and go into vacation mode and just eat everything they would not normally eat, which isn't very fun because then you end up feeling terrible on vacation. So just um, cook like you would at home, bring a meal plan like you would at home. I try to pre-prepare and pack all the meats, especially if I can, or all the proteins, and then just supplement with fresh vegetables and produce wherever we are. And that not only cuts down our food budget uh, in places where I might not have as good of an access to local farmers and grass-fed beef, but it also just saves a lot of time. Um, and so it, for us, if it's a vacation, we're almost always bringing most of our food with us, doing picnics for lunches while we're out on the beach or exploring, and then cooking in-house at night. Um, and it really isn't that much more work as long as you put the planning in ahead of time. So I think that is all the questions I had this week pertaining to 
summer and the transition to summer. And um, I don't know about you, but I'm definitely glad that we're finally there. Uh, and if you have any other questions, please leave them in comments under this podcast, and I'll be happy to answer them as well. And any of the resources or recipes I mentioned will be linked in the show notes at wellnessmama.com. And um, as always, thank you so much for listening and have a healthy week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Wellness Mama podcast, where I provide simple answers for healthier families. If you would like to get my seven simple steps for healthier families guide for free, head on over to wellnessmama.com and enter your email and I'll send it over to you right away. You can also stay in touch on social media, facebook.com forward slash endless wellness, or on Twitter and Instagram at wellnessmama. And I would also really appreciate it if you would take a second and subscribe to this podcast so that you'll be notified of future episodes. And if you've ever benefited from something I talked about on this podcast, I would be really appreciative if you would leave a rating or review since that's how others are able to find this podcast and so we can help spread the message. Thanks as always for listening and for reading and for being on board with creating a future for our children that's healthier and happier. And until next time, have a healthy week.